On this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, we light the candle of love. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. God showed us his love by sending his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 and then verse 14 as well. I'm, I'm reading from a different translation this morning. And so if you don't have your Bibles, that's even better because you can just follow on the screen as I read. Before we jump in, I want to just remind you again what Matt said at the beginning, that tonight at 5 o'clock we will gather here in this room for a very different service, a service of candlelight and communion, about 35 minutes where we will celebrate the greatest day outside of Easter in our church tradition. And so I hope all of you will come and be a part of it if you're here in the room or if you're watching online. Today we wrap up the Advent season as we have explored hope, peace, joy, and today we talk about love. And so I want to invite you, as we always do, to begin by reading from Scripture together. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was close beside God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, he was close beside God. All things came into existence through him. Not one thing that exists came into existence without him. Life was in him, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and lived among us. We gazed upon his glory, glory like that of the Father's only Son, full of grace and full of truth. So y'all, I got a question for you. What, what is your favorite Christmas story? I'm a little bit echoey, so if we could work on that a touch, that'd be great. What's your favorite Christmas story? Any, any, anybody? What, your favorite part of the Christmas story? And let me be clear. I am not talking about the show that's going to come on on TBS and TNT. Okay? Anybody else going to watch that? Anybody else for 24 hours? It's just going to be on the background in my house because fragile is still one of the greatest lines in all of movie history. But I'm not talking about that movie. I am talking about the Christmas story, the nativity story. What is your favorite part of that story? We got two different versions that we find in scripture in Matthew's gospel, which is addressed to the Jewish people and Jesus' lineage goes all the way back to Abraham. And in Luke's gospel, where, where the story is addressed to the entire Gentile world and the lineage goes all the way back to Adam himself. In each story, we get unique elements. And for me, when I think about my favorite part of the Christmas story, I, I think about the day of the birth itself. And remember, if you've ever seen a child be born, it is not all calm and bright, is it? It's chaos all around. And Mary has just had the baby Jesus, and I love what happens in this story. That the breathtaking moment when the angels appear and the whole of the heavenly hosts proclaim, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all people. Not just some people, but on all people. And to me, when I think about the Christmas story, that, that is one of my favorite parts. 
But I, I got to tell you, each of us have our own different rhythms, our own different ideas about what the best part of the Christmas story is about. And a few years ago, this was three or four years ago, Miriam showed me her new favorite part of the Christmas story. She came to me uh, middle of the day. And in my house, we've got four or five different nativity scenes that are present. And, and Miriam had one in particular for her that was in the playroom. And she runs to me in the middle of the day and she said, Dad, Dad, I fixed the nativity scene. And I said, fix the nativity scene? What was wrong with it? What have you done? And she said, you gotta come and see it. And so I run with her into the playroom and y'all, she is so excited. And when I get in the playroom, the nativity scene that she has created was right here. Jesus and the Care Bears. Nothing says Christmas like the bears sending their love to baby Jesus, right? An apocryphal story, we might say. Yeah, right? There you go. We all have our favorite elements of the Christmas story. And for many of us, if you grew up in church, what you are most familiar with is the story that we will read tonight. We'll gather together in this room at five o'clock and the room will be full and we will stand and we will read the story of Luke. We will read the story that proclaims the birth of Christ and it is good and it is beautiful. Most of us in this room even know elements of Matthew's story. Matthew's the one that we don't read quite as often. In Matthew's gospel, we read about the slaughter of the innocents where Herod understands that Jesus is a political threat. And so at the beginning of his life, he seeks to eliminate Jesus. Most of us are familiar if you grew up in church with that story. Fun fact, there are four stories of Jesus's life. There's Matthew and Luke, then there's Mark. And Mark doesn't even have time for a Christmas story because he's got to get things moving in his gospel. And that's fine. But what I want to talk about this morning for the next few moments, because we'll talk about Luke tonight. We'll talk about Matthew tonight. But on this final Sunday of Advent, as we have lit the candle of, of love, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about John's gospel. I want to talk about John's gospel because what I think and what I think you're going to end up agreeing with me on is that this story, is actually a Christmas story. Maybe not like Matthew and Luke, but listen to me, it is a Christmas story nonetheless. I read to you from it just a moment ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the story goes on to say that the Word, it took on flesh and came among us, and the light of that Word has shone into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's not a narrative of history, but it's theological in its orientation. And if you grew up in church at all, or if you have any sort of biblical literacy, which I do not take for granted anymore, what you will know is that when you hear those words, in the beginning, you would hearken back to Genesis, to the very first book of the Bible itself, where what do we read? But in the beginning, the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You see, if you're paying attention to John's gospel, what we understand is that this story of Jesus doesn't begin on Christmas Day, but it goes all the way back to the beginning of creation itself. In the beginning was the Word. 
Christ was with God, not just on Christmas Day, but from the very origin of creation itself. That is a revolutionary and profound statement about the heart of Christmas. God created light, and we believe that Christ is the light who is shown into the darkness. And the darkness, friends, however strong it might seem in the world in which we are living, the darkness cannot overcome the light of Christ. And when I read this Christmas story that we find in the Gospel of John, yes, it is different from Matthew, and yes, it is different from Luke, but when I read the Christmas story that we find in John, I'm reminded of one thing, that this story is bigger than the birth of a child in a manger, and ultimately, it is about something bigger. It is about the very nature of who God is it is a theological statement, a theological statement that tells us something about the very heart of God, about what God wants for the world, about what God dreams for the whole of his creation. In the beginning was the word. This story, y'all, this story, it is a Christmas story and it is about the very nature of who God is. And so when I begin to think theologically, when I begin to think about the nature of God, I find that I always end up asking a question. And, and so here's the question that I want us to ask ourselves this morning. Here's what it is. What comes to mind when you think about God? What comes to mind when you think about God? We're gonna have a little experiment, okay? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. I'm not gonna ask you to bow your head and raise your hands, but I want you to do this with me. God, what pops into your brain? God the Father, what image pops into your mind? What comes into your mind when we say the word God? And if you are anything like me, raised in not really the church tradition, but exposed to the church, when I think about God, when I say that word, I am immediately brought back to some of the churches that I went to when I was a boy. And anytime I went in church, whether it was Easter or Christmas, because that was about it in my family, right? When I showed up, I heard stories about God who was angry. I heard stories about God who was vengeful. I heard stories about a God who was a strict taskmaster who was constantly keeping score of my rights and my wrongs and the danger was that I was always gonna end up in hell. What do you think about when you hear the word God? For many of us who were raised in the church, the image that we have been taught to think is that image on the, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's great work in the Vatican, where Adam and God touch hands. And what we find in this beautiful piece of artwork isn't the God that we find in Scripture, but what we find is the God of Greek mythology, a God who is strong and mighty, a God who is removed from creation. Only in that one moment with Adam did he interact with us. Many of us were taught to think that God created the world. Every once in a while, he intervenes, but most of the time, God stays pretty hands-off. What comes to mind when you think of the word God? That's an important question. It's an important question because ultimately, it shapes who you become as a human being. And that's why, friends, on this morning, the final morning of Advent, I wanna talk about John's gospel. Because what John's gospel does is it presents us a different picture of God. 
Not a God who is angry and not a God who is vengeful, but at the heart of this story is God who took on flesh, the word who took on flesh and came among us. The word who brought light into the world, the word who ultimately is love. See, at the heart of God, I want us to understand At the heart of the Christmas story itself is a radical and revolutionary proposition that is known as love. We, we, over the past few weeks, have lit the four Advent candles. And what we have said is that you can have hope through Jesus Christ. You, You can have peace through Jesus Christ. You can have joy through Jesus Christ. And on this final Sunday of Advent, when we light the candle of love, not only am I telling you that you can have love through Jesus Christ, but even more than that, what we are proclaiming is that at the very heart of God in God's self is this thing called love. And listen, y'all, what I am talking about, let me be crystal clear on this. The love that I am referring to, it is not the love that you find on a Hallmark Christmas movie, okay? I think my last tally was 30 that I've watched so far this year. It's not the love that you will find on Love Actually. It's not the love that you're gonna find in romance novels. It's not the love that you're gonna find in pop culture. But let me tell you something. The love that I'm talking about today, the love that is at the very center in the heart of God is the sort of thing that is with us in every moment of our lives. This love that is at the heart of God is that which says, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. There is nothing you can do that will make me turn my back on you. The love that I am talking about was willing to go to the cross the depths of that sort of love. Friends, words fall short. God's heart, God's nature, contrary to what you have been told, is not anger or judgment, but it is hope and love and grace. He was full of grace and truth is what we have been told. Even if you did not grow up in church, look, even if you did not grow up in church at all, You have heard what is the key verse in American and Western Christianity, right? If you have any doubt about who God is, go for yourself and read John 3.16. For God so loved the world, not hated, not judged. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That word zoe aeon, eternal life, isn't just about what happens when you die, but it is about something that happens to us right here and right now. It is a quality and an intensity of life that can be ours when we understand the nature of who God is. Please understand, y'all, we need to hear John's Christmas story Because if we get the radicality of this gospel story, then we will be prepared to live in a way that is counter to the culture of death, in a way that is counter to the culture of anger, in a way that is counter to the culture that you and I are living in right here and right now. Paul, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, 
He writes a letter to the church at Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony. Think of like Boston or New York, thinking maybe not New York, but think of Boston, Minneapolis, Atlanta, mid-sized important city, full of things that we don't like to think about here in Augusta, Georgia, right? Because we're in a wholesome town. And Paul is writing to this congregation. Paul is writing to this community of people. And he's telling them that they have experienced Christ. They have had an encounter with the one who is very nature, love and God and goodness. And he is telling them that in the midst of the world in which they are living, do not give up hope. Do not forsake the way of Christ. And he's writing them this letter to encourage them. I love this letter. And he says to them, if you understand who God is, if you understand who God is, it's gonna change the way you live. And in Philippians chapter two, he breaks into song. One of the earliest hymns of the Christian faith. I just wanna read it to you real quick. In Philippians chapter two, Paul says, this is how you should think among yourselves. With the mind that you have, right? You understand the nature of who God is. You are thinking properly. So with the mind that you have, because you belong to Jesus, this is how you should treat each other. Jesus, who in God's form did not regard equality with God as something he ought to exploit, but instead he emptied himself and he received the form of a slave being born in the likeness of humans. And then having human appearance, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. Yes, death on a cross. And so God has greatly exalted him. And to him and his favor, he has given the name which is over all names, that now at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth shall bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus, the Messiah, is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And he is saying, if you understand God, not as anger or wrath, but if you understand God as love who took on flesh and came among us, then and only then are you capable of taking on the mind of the Messiah and living in the appropriate way. Living in the way of grace, living in the way of generosity, living in the way of Jesus. This is one of those moments where if you're not paying attention, the power of this song can get lost on you. Think about it for just a moment. Relating back to Christmas, what does Paul say? Instead, God, the one who was eternal, sitting in the heavens, he emptied himself and he received the form of a slave. Being born, on Christmas, in the very likeness of humans. And then, and then after he's taken on flesh, having human appearance, he humbled himself. He could have come and established his kingdom forever, but he humbled himself and he became obedient even to death. Yes, the death of the cross. And Paul says, if that is what God was willing to do for us, and how much more should we do for each other? See, if you understand the power of the Christmas story, 
if you understand really what God was up to when he took on flesh and came among us, then it transforms your life right here and right now. I ask you a question. What comes to mind when you think about God? What comes to mind when I say the word God? And friends, the answer to that question has huge implications for your life. I'm telling you this because I know it. I'm telling you this because I've experienced it for myself. If you think of God as angry, then you will see the world as a terrible place. If you think about God and the first things that comes to your mind is judgment and wrath, then listen to me, you will live a life that is cynical, constantly looking for the faults and the flaws of other people. If you think about God and the first thing that comes to your mind is the cosmic scorekeeper who is picking what is right and what is wrong, then you will live your life constantly looking for the speck of wood in others when you've got a log in your own. See, when you ask the question, what do you think about when you think about God? The answer has real life implications and not just in the negative way. But if I say the word God and the first thing you think about is the word who took on flesh and came among us. If I say the word God and the first thing you think about is love who entered into the creation, then friends, you are free. You are free to live in a countercultural and revolutionary way. You are free to give generosity out into the world, expecting nothing in return. You are free to live above, above the partisan bickering that defines our age. You are free to live above the cultural rubble of a day that is in decline. If you hear the word God and you think love, then you're able to live like Jesus. See, listen, y'all, it really isn't that complicated. We, we, over the past four weeks, have celebrated the virtues of hope, peace, joy, and love. And all I really want you to know this morning, we'll come back and we'll celebrate the traditional Christmas story and it will be great and it will be grand. But what I want you to know this morning is that when we read the gospel of John and we understand what Christmas is about, friends, listen, Christmas tells us that God, God is love. And at the heart of God, what he desires for us more than anything else is hope and peace and joy, and love. God desires those things for the world. And if I can take it even one step further, listen to me, God desires that for you. And some of you are here right now and what you need to know is that the things you've been taught about God are a lie. And the things you've been taught about the anger and the wrath have no place in the way of Jesus. Today, you are invited into the way of love. Today, you're invited in the way of Jesus. Listen, tomorrow morning, you're gonna get up. And some of you are gonna get up late in the morning. I'll be up at the bright hour of 5 a.m. because I have three girls that are eight, 10, and five. And we'll get up in the morning and we'll open presents. 
And some of you are gonna get up in the morning and you're gonna drink mimosas. And hey, that's fine, that's good too. Some of you are gonna get up and you're gonna do all those things and then you're gonna have family over to share a meal. And some of you are gonna drink more mimosas. <laughs> and that's okay. But listen, what I want you to understand is that at the center of the Christmas story is love. You're invited to share in that today. As I wind us down, I can think of no better words than that of John himself, who when he wrote a letter to the church that he was pastoring, he had this to say, that this is how God's love has appeared among us, that he sent his only son into the world so that we should live through him. Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son on Christmas and ultimately to the cross where he would be the sacrifice that would atone for our sins. He sent his son whose name is love. And friends, that, that is really good news. Join me as we pray together. God, we are grateful for this morning, for the opportunity to come in this space and hear the songs of Christmas, to sing the words that are so dear to our heart. And now, oh God, help us to hear loud and clear in our hearts and our minds that at the heart of your existence is love. God, some of us have been to church all our lives and we've been taught about a God who is angry and vengeful, but God, help us to hear the words of John, that you took on flesh and came among us, that you proved the light can shine into the darkness. You have proved that love wins. So God, may we trust in your goodness. May we trust in your love. May we trust that you are full of grace and truth. Be with us as we continue to worship you this morning. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.